Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. If Putin likes Donald Trump, I consider that an asset, not a liability. The facts are stubborn things. They did hack into this campaign. That shows that we have a deeply insecure president who understands that the noose is tightening because of this Russia investigation. And that's why I believe he has let Jim Comey go. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about Hillary Clinton's white knight, the man who gallantly fired his FBI director for offending the honor of Clinton during the presidential campaign. Wait, wait what? <laughs> what? Okay, Jacob Weisberg, you're here. Maybe you can make sense of this. We got a big day ahead of us on Trumpcast. We do. Good morning, Virginia. Yeah, good morning. Did you see the Politico TikTok story that I think went up this morning about the background of how it happened? How do they do it? I mean, they just get their White House sources so quickly. Yeah. What was I didn't read it all the way through, I have to admit. But tell me tell me what happened. I mean, the way it. this White House leaks, you know, it does make you think that people are thinking about the post-Nuremberg era of the Trump administration. <laughs> yep. uh, but um, they just had some amazing details. I mean, one, Roger Stone, who's at the center of the Russian investigation, has yep. been lobbying Trump to fire Comey for a while. But the amazing just detail about how they fired him, you know, Trump still has his personal bodyguard. These are like the, his Queen's posse. This is like his Praetorian Guard, his kind of his thugs from, yeah, from, from Queens. And this guy, Kevin Schiller, I think is one of his bodyguards. And he sent him over to the FBI with a personal letter. And this letter said, I'm terminating you. It's like a cross between The Apprentice and the Kremlin. It's amazing. but And also, you're talking about the FBI office in Los Angeles because uh, James Comey wasn't here. He wasn't right. on the East well, Coast. He sent him to the office in Washington. Oh, he, oh, I guess did. Trump didn't know he wasn't there. I don't know. But he. I think it was to deliver this letter oh, personally. Got it. But that's why Comey found out at this event with all these FBI agents seeing it on TV in, in back of him. And he didn't, he didn't believe it. Where the, we all find found out that same crawl he looked up and saw he was fired so and this the tiktok here is that that roger stone was agitating to lose comey on what grounds well why I mean, now there are lots of other details but i mean what it adds up to is first of all that you know if you ever believe this cover story that it has to do with how they handled the clinton, hillary clinton investigation you know you're yeah, i've got a bridge to sell you but just the way that he was terminated with extreme prejudice yeah. i mean the idea it's not enough to to get rid of somebody violating Every democratic norm about the independence of an investigation and protecting yourself from an investigation, but that you have to do it in the most insulting, personalized way. That's Trump. Amazing. It's uh, it's just incredible, incredible to process this. I, I think, though, we need to talk to some people who are not completely fresh off the story so that they're not hot and, you know, like Paul Begala last night, instantly saying this is a Saturday night, Saturday night massacre and we're back in Nixon days. Um, so just going into how the Trump cast sausage is made a, li- a little <laughs> bit here, we started, since we got this news last night, we started emailing back and forth about who we wanted to talk to. And I think we both had this instinct that we've got to get this going to news story and we have to do something that goes a little beyond the news story. I mean, story. Trump cast basically exists to do this kind of thing, you know, to, to cover the access Hollywood tape or the, uh, you know, whatever drops from the president. So here we are. And yeah, uh, you had a good idea. Well, you had a good idea. But um, but I thought, and we'll, we'll speak to him in a little bit, but Benjamin Wittes, who's a, who's a legal person I've known for a long time, he's the editor of that Lawfare blog. He's on that Lawfare podcast, which is one of the best ones out there. And he knows this world of 
the Justice Department and the FBI like very few people. In fact, it came out somewhere months ago in the reporting about Comey that Comey, you know, had the secret Twitter account. And he only yes, followed a right. few people, but one of the people he followed was Ben Wittes. So I and thought, let's he, get Ben. He knows what's going I on. I think that's great. And I had the same the same instinct to get sort of a moderate who might correct a little bit the first impressions last night that we're, we're on the royal road to impeachment, that James Comey is the Archibald Cox of today. And so I thought we'd go to Tom Nichols, who he's a never Trump Republican on the grounds that this connection to Russia was just, you know, too much to bear as someone who, who is studied. Russia for a long time. He seemed to be able to have a cool head last night when when certainly others were not so cool. Were, you know, there were some pretty hot-headed declarations last night about this being, you know, a crisis. Politico surveyed a bunch of Cass Sunstein types saying, you know, is this the Civil War again? Is this Watergate again? Are we going to see see the collapse, beginning of the end? So, Virginia, I'll speak to Benjamin Wittes first, and then you'll be back with Tom Nichols. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'd like to welcome Benjamin Wittes. He's a fellow at the Brookings Institution where he started the Lawfare blog, which you should absolutely be reading. And you should also be listening to the Lawfare podcasts, including Rational Security with Susan Hennessy, who listeners of this show will be familiar with. Uh, anyhow, welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. Let's get on to topic A. I thought to call you this week, Ben, partly because you know these people and in institutions so well. Uh, I know you know James Comey personally. I know you know Rod uh, Rosenstein. I know you know so many people, the Justice Department and FBI. But just to start with the basic question, why do you think President Trump fired Jim Comey? So I think the answer to that was was pretty amply given in the press coverage last night. And it sounds like the reason is that uh, the president had a temper tantrum that the uh, Russia stuff wasn't going away and he wanted uh, Comey's head. And this was exactly the nightmare scenario that uh, Susan Hennessy and I wrote about two days after the election when it was you know, mostly Democrats who were braying for Comey's blood. And, you know, we got alarmed by that because we were concerned that the result would be an environment in which Trump could actually get away with doing this. And, you know, so I think it, I I think there's zero evidence that the stated reasons uh, are the actual reasons. Uh, and in fact, a lot of reason to be very skeptical of of the stated reasons. And there's a lot of evidence, including a whole lot of White House sources talking to Politico and the New York Times yesterday, that in fact, what was going on was that the president decided he wanted to get rid of Jim Comey because he's pissed off about Russia and, uh, you know, calling Jeff Sessions and telling him to get it done. So, I, but I think there are a lot of overlapping possibilities about what that real reason is. One version of it could be James Comey's independent and isn't a shill for Donald Trump and has done things he doesn't like and is embarrassing him and standing up to him and Trump can't control him. That's different from maybe the more conspiratorial version that Trump is very specifically trying to cut off the investigation into the Russia connection that Comey was responsible for. Where would you place it on that spectrum? And and I would say there's a still even more petty or less, uh, but less serious possible explanation, which is cable TV driven, which is, you know, Trump's been watching TV and uh, the the Russia stuff won't go away. And, and he's aggravated by, uh, by the amount of attention these hearings are getting. And, and it, you know, it's not driven by so much by independence as his inability to control the news cycle. Um, and there was some evidence for that in the in the stories last night. Look, I I don't know. Have always been 
agnostic about how serious the Trump-Russia connections are, except in the limited sense that they're very serious insofar as they raise really important questions that need to be resolved, and the need to resolve them are profoundly serious. But but whether the what the fundamental character of the Trump-Russia connections are, whether it's on, on, on a scale of a bunch of Putin-loving idiots uh, behaving as such and crowding around candidate Trump to uh, something really nefarious. I've never known where to put my finger on that scale, and I still don't. Now, I know Jim Comey is a personal friend of yours. I love that story a while ago that uh, I think Gawker did saying that his his uh, secret Twitter account followed your Twitter account. I think you were the only journalist you followed on Twitter. But just knowing him, how do you think he's going to react? Because he hasn't said anything in public yet. So let me let me start by saying that uh, what I'm about to say reflects no interactions with him about this subject. And I, I'm I'm not going to talk about any conversations we may or may not have had, and I'm not even going to acknowledge them uh, if if they took place. So this is just my personal view of what I think he's likely to be thinking about. Yeah, your friend got fired. I just want to know what you what you think he thinks. Right. So so here's my here's here's how I would feel in his shoes and what I would how I interpret the events in light of his his character as I know it. Number one, uh, this is a guy who you know is the most subtextless person in Washington, and maybe the only completely subtextless person in Washington. That is, if you want to know why he didn't bring a case against Hillary Clinton, uh, you know the answer is you look at his statement and he tells you why. Right? If you want to know why he issued that statement when a lot of people think it was a terrible idea and disruptive, ask him that, and he gives you an explanation of that. If you want to understand, I mean, everybody looks with Comey for the way other Washington figures would act. And the answer in Comey's case is he almost always acts by doing what he thinks the right thing, thing to do is and then explaining himself. Mm. And so that's exactly what I think he'll do in this situation. Um, I think he will, in a time and place of his choosing, my best guess would be a congressional hearing. He will tell his side of the story in a fashion that is limited by the need to protect classified information, the need to protect investigative information, and otherwise uninhibited by things that might inhibit other public officials. You can criticize him for that characterological trait, or you can praise him for that characterological trait, but I think it is one of the defining features of his public uh, career and his sort of public persona that he just explains himself. Um, and people, you know, people really have trouble with the idea that there's, it's not more complicated than that. But I'm telling you, it's not more complicated than that. Mm. So I actually think that one of the problems that Trump created for himself in removing Jim Comey is that he dramatically increased the list of things that Jim Comey is now allowed to talk about. You know, before he couldn't talk about classified information and he couldn't talk about investigative information uh, and he had to protect the investigation and all that's still true. But he also couldn't talk about interactions with the White House that may be, for example, of the type that Yates talked about in her testimony the other day. You couldn't do that while you were still in office, right? But now that you're out of office, you're perfectly free to talk about how you warned Don McGahn about General Flynn and were ignored, right? Uh, so think about the last three or four months of the Trump presidency and the transition, and think about all the things that if you were Jim Comey, you would never talk about while you're in office, but you might be free to talk about now. You know, I don't know what the scope of that is, but if I were Donald Trump, I'd be really afraid of that. And I actually anticipated that that might be an inhibiting factor in getting rid of him. Because one thing you know about Jim Comey is that if you behave dishonorably, you know, he will do what he does, which is 
explain his actions, why he did what he did. Uh, and he'll talk pretty freely about that. And, you know, the most famous example of that before before the Clinton stuff was the hospital room scene with, with Ashcroft. Yeah, when he said to, to Bush and Bush's lawyers. Right. And the way that came out was that he appeared a couple years later in front of a judiciary subcommittee, I believe, and Chuck Schumer asked him a question that amounted to, do you remember the night of March 14th, 2004? And, you know, Comey said, why, yes, and told the story. So I think I, I say this with no knowledge of, of, of anything that's non-public, but I do not believe that the last few months have not given rise to material that the White House probably shouldn't want Jim Comey testifying about. And if you're if you're Comey, what responsibility do you have to the investigation that was just interfered with? I mean, he Jim was Comey this would never would never behave in a way that would compromise the investigation. But Full if the stop. investigation, it's it gets a little more complicated than that because if the investigation itself has just been attacked, I mean, it's been orphaned in a way. It's not clear who's in charge of it. It's not clear if Trump is is preventing it, will prevent it from going forward. At what point is your responsibility to keep the investigation, to protect the integrity in the investigation versus the normal confidentiality and procedure you'd have around an investigation at the FBI? Well, so I so I, I think, first of all, there are a lot of people, the, the FBI even decapitated, uh, the body of the FBI is, uh, is composed in, at least at the, you know, above the torso level of the body of a <laughs> lot of people who are deep Comey loyalists. And, you know, Comey is a, is a controversial figure in the political world. And because of his conduct during the, the Clinton email matter, he is very controversial among former senior Justice Department officials and some current Justice Department officials. Uh, he is not a controversial figure in the FBI itself. Um, mm. He is a deeply admired leader who, um, I forget which newspaper was reporting last night that there were FBI agents in field offices in, in tears around the country. This is a person who inspires enormous personal loyalty. And I don't believe for a second that if the investigation were being compromised in a significant way, other than by the removal of the agency head, that uh, Comey wouldn't find out about it, actually. And so I, I, I expect part of the calibration of the answer to, to, to your question has to do with what his confidence level may be uh, about whether the investigation is proceeding without him. Now, the people who are the acting director, you know, Andrew McCabe is is was Comey's deputy director, right? And so, I think you know this is not a situation in which um, he will be without the ability to satisfy himself that the investigation is or is not being protected. And I suspect how he handles himself. Uh, with respect to your question, will very likely be guided by his sense of, of, of that. McCabe is going to be in charge for the foreseeable future, right? Because what person with integrity would now take this job of FBI director if appointed, let alone the question of who would get confirmed by the by the Senate? But, you know, it's just the the assumption has just got to be that anyone Trump appoints is just a political shill. Well, look, there are people of sufficient individual stature that it would be a great patriotic act for them to take the job. The person Do you that think I, so? Isn't the, isn't the patriotic act to say, bring Comey back? Um, couldn't the Senate demand well, that? Well, no, no. That, look, I mean, assuming that that ship has sailed, let me, let me just give you an example, and then I'll tell you why it'll never happen. So if the president were to call Mike Chertoff and say, we need, we need a new FBI director, it has to be somebody of your stature, and Chertoff were agree, would agree to do that. Chertoff was would, like a never, never Trumper. I mean, there, exactly. there would be, pig, so there would be the pigs problem. flying outside Without the window when that happened. All yeah. of the people of that stature are never Trumpers. 
there are a very small number and 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 the problem is that the ones that are that are that left themselves a door open will have exactly the problem that you describe there are people he could go to but they do tend to be either democrats or never trumpers and the question of whether they would do it if asked is a different question my view is you know that should be what we demand as a society I don't think it's plausible for reasons that you and your audience really don't need to have a lecture from me about. But I, I also don't think um, I do think you run into a problem that anybody short of that uh, has a real hard sell for confirmation, unless certain Republicans who are now expressing concerns over what happened yesterday turn around and buckle. So, Ben, you also know Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general who wrote the firing memo. And I saw you tweeted uh, that you'd misjudged him. I think misjudged him when you said positive things about him when he was either nominated or con- confirmed. So how would you misjudge him? Well, so I'm – look, I don't say this with any glee. I, I'm not somebody who believes that there are no circumstances in which honorable people can or should serve in in the Trump administration, uh, although I think it's a very hard question for a lot of people. And when the president appointed Rod Rosenstein, whom I've known for a long time, I mean, probably close to 20 years, I was uh, delighted by it and considered it an enormously reassuring sign, uh, along with the person he named as associate, uh, Attorney General Rachel Brand, who still hasn't been concern- confirmed, I considered this to be an enormously reassuring sign about the Justice Department. Yeah, it was going to be run by Jeff Sessions, who's, you know, Jeff Sessions. But the person who day-to-day run the Justice Department is somebody who's been a U.S. attorney under Republican and Democratic administrations, is a holdover from the Obama administration, is somebody who uh, really has a very good reputation as a career law enforcement guy. And, you know, has been kind of in and out of political roles uh, and always served with distinction, as far as I could tell. Um, I thought the memo that he wrote yesterday was a shocking document. And I, I try to control for the fact that I'm personally somebody who's fond of Jim and, and, I, and I, you know, don't like to see him treated like that. And I try to control for that. And it's still a shocking document. I mean, so this is a document that basically reads like an op-ed, you know, don't believe me, believe all these career law enforcement officers, you know, Larry Thompson and Jamie Gorelick and Lawrence Silberman, who have all said, you know, that what he did was inappropriate. It reflects no sign that Rosenstein ever talked to Comey about the allegations on which he was uh, recommending that he be removed. There is actually a pending Office of Inspector General investigation of the events in question. He didn't wait until that investigation was done. So in the middle of an investigation, oh, and and by the way, he didn't even have the guts to say uh, at the end of the memo, and therefore you should remove the, the FBI director. It has this coy ending that sort of stops short of making an explicit recommendation. So in other words, in the middle of the Russia investigation, weeks, mere weeks after the the FBI director goes up to Congress and testifies that he's investigating the president's campaign's relationship with an adversary foreign intelligence service in the course of that service's operations against the United States and its electoral system. The deputy attorney general, who is acting attorney general for the for this investigation, because Sessions because is recused. Sessions is recused, right? Right. So the acting attorney general, within two weeks of taking office, writes a memo urging the removal of the FBI director based on material that he appears not to have had a conversation with him about. And now we learn this morning that this takes place. Uh, within a few days of Comey's having made a a budget request of him for the purposes of supporting that particular investigation. Now, I, I 
I say this with, you know, respect for, like, I, I, I honestly would never have predicted that Rod Rosenstein would behave that way. And I'm, I, I don't know how to understand that other than as a, you know, as a, as a, a sort of shocking misbehavior uh, and kind of about face. And so I'm, I'm completely befuddled by it and uh, I'm quite shaken. Headline, Ben, power corrupts. But I mean, the, the, the reality that you just described means that Rosenstein is now de facto running the Russia investigation. And he is at the center of this, this concocted, hackish cover story for why they got rid of James Comey. So what is one of the things that the Senate should be demanding right now that Rosenstein follow Sessions in recusing himself from this investigation? Well, so, I mean, look, there were two pillars of confidence that the Justice Department, notwithstanding Jeff Sessions and uh, the fact that there was no independent counsel, could handle this matter. One was Jim Comey. And I know that a lot of Democrats are mad at Jim Comey because he didn't talk about the investigation while he talked too much about the Hillary Clinton investigation in, in their view of the matter. I understand that. But here's the thing is, nobody really doubted that Jim Comey was pursuing this investigation in a serious way. I mean, people expressed all kind of anger. But at the end of the day, and this goes to that sort of no subtext thing, when he sat there and said, yeah, I'm going to follow the facts on the law wherever this goes, everybody kind of knew he would, right? And so there was a certain confidence level in the FBI, despite what happened with Hillary, despite what happened with the campaign. The second element was Rod Rosenstein, right? That you could say, well, Jeff Sessions is recused and the acting attorney general for this matter, at least as of his confirmation two weeks ago, is a respected career prosecutor. Well, now one of the pillars is gone and the other one is the reason he's gone and has behaved in a way that, you know, nobody will ever look at him again as a non-political actor. So at this point, there's, I think, no basis for confidence that the investigation is uh, is independent. And um, though I'm sure the the line people are excellent, and 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 I think you really, if you're serious about this, you basically have no choice but to support an independent prosecutor at this point. If we don't want Trump to get away with it, we need a simple demand. Is the simple demand basically no Senate business until a special prosecutor? You know, no, no tax bill, no, no health, Trump care. No unanimous consent on anything. Yeah. I until, mean, that's what, we, that's until, what Republic, we should be asking Republican senators to, to say. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that this is a moment where everybody has to ask themselves, is there going to be an investigation of this or not? And, you know, unlike certain criminal matters, national security investigations are highly perishable. It's not like if you wait and until, you know, Democrats control one house of Congress or the other, you can just kind of pick it up then. This relates to a lot of ongoing activity. We just need to ask ourselves the question, is there going to be a serious investigation? And uh, and it's actually two serious investigations, right? One is, is there going to be a serious investigation that ha- is a criminal and national security investigation in the Department of Justice? And number two, is Congress going to investigate this seriously? Those are different functions, and both need to happen, and both are in, in jeopardy. I've been speaking to Benjamin Wittes of the Lawfare blog at Brookings. Ben, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. My guest today is Tom Nichols, a professor at Naval War College and at the Harvard Extension School, who has a book out right now called The Death of Expertise, about why so many people reject facts and are so aggressively ignorant. 
Tom, thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. So I don't want to completely throw you, but today I want to talk about Donald Trump's firing of James <laughs> Comey. So let's walk through with some beginner's mind instead of jumping to conclusions that this is, you know, the Saturday Night Massacre and it's it resembles and and has the consequences of Nixon's firing of Archibald Cox. I noticed on Twitter that you chose explicitly not to freak out. And in fact, some pe- thought some people were being hysterical. You even poked fun at the hysterics on CNN and elsewhere. Tell me about that. Well, you know, this is part of the the problem of people not knowing much about their own government. I mean, you know, there were people coming out and saying, well, he can't do this. Well, OK, yes, he can, actually. Now, whether he should, whether it's a good idea, per- he's perfectly within his legal and constitutional rights. You know, not everything that's a bad idea is illegal. Whether it's politically a good idea, well, I think we're going to find out. Um, the comparisons to the Saturday Night Massacre were really, you know, that I, I thought they were overblown. I mean, you even had John Dean, who was at the center of Watergate when he was asked, saying, you know, it's kind of not the Saturday Night Massacre. And you could almost see the disappointment around the table of saying, well, come on, John Dean, you know, you're supposed to be saying this was Nixon and it's the Saturday Night Massacre. For people that are, are too young to remember or to don't know anything about this, um, the Saturday Night Massacre was Nixon trying to fire a special prosecutor who was directly looking into him, whose job was directly to look into him. He couldn't find an attorney general who would do it. So he fired the attorney general. He fired the next guy in line. He finally got down to a, uh, the solicitor general, a, a then little known lawyer named Robert Bork of all people who finally just said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll fire the guy. Uh, because in theory, Nixon couldn't do it, but this was not a Saturday night massacre. And the thing that I was making the most fun of was, um, I think it was, I want to say it was Jeffrey Tubin saying, well, you know, he could end up replacing this guy with Sheriff David Clark. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> and I said, okay, this is where everybody needs to like, you know, start breathing into a paper bag for a minute. <laughs> because no matter who Trump nominates, he's got to be con- he's got to be confirmed and it's going to have to go through the whole political process. So, you know, what again, was firing Comey a good idea? We can argue about that because it's also important to remember that at some point in the past 6 months, pretty much everybody in both parties argued for firing Jim Comey. Democrats especially have a real chip on their shoulder about Comey because they believe that he basically, as Hillary Clinton herself said the other day, you know, they believe that Comey basically cost Hillary Clinton the election. And so the, the, the response was this kind of awkward, Comey should have been fired, but not by this guy this way. Yeah. Or or there I, there was also a little bit and I think you saw it on Jeffrey Tubin's face on on CNN. I mean, he was kind of the avatar of it. A little bit of excited bloodlust. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. That this is this is the, the first domino, you know, is really wobbling and that we have the royal road to impeachment finally mapped out that this if this is this anything like the Saturday Night Massacre and. New York Times is making the comparison. It's been the go-to. It was, of course, the go-to for Paul Begala, who, speaking of chips on shoulders, and, uh, <laughs> you know, everyone used those words, Saturday Night Massacre, that we just want to build hard that narrative that we're walking down impeachment And, and I think it's a, it's a mistake because I think, yeah, I, I wrote a piece in the Washington Post about a month or so ago where I said, you know, not everything Trump does is outrageous. This is where, you know, People, again, not understanding how their own government works can lead them down the wrong path. And I think, you know, Democrats, the the people that are the most opposed to Trump, again, representing my own view here. I mean, I had a I'm pretty well known as a never Trump Republican back in the day. Back in the day, meaning a year ago, (laughs) a year ago. Right. You know, back in the back in the in the old days. But, you know, this constant overshooting the mark of saying, aha, we finally have our Nixon moment. Well, you know, you can't you can't keep having those moments every three months. It becomes like political hypochondria. Yeah, I think I think Matthew Iglesias said again on Twitter, Republicans were also um, horrified for four or five days about the Access Hollywood tape. Right. You know that maybe this is going to be another Republicans turning on him briefly and and maybe not. All right. Having given the case for 
uh, being temperate in our responses to the firing. Let's be intemperate for a second. So what 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 might be the consequences, um, the consequences and 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 quite literally, what will happen? Well, th- What's I think next? so much depends on who actually gets nominated to replace Comey. So you think it's going to be Chris it, Christie, Ivanka? I've seen some of the draft yeah, picks today. Rudy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, if um, this is the equivalent of, uh, you know, he brings in his own Tom Hagen you know, here to become, uh, you know, the FBI director, then, yeah, I, I think, you know, then the people that are talking about a kind of political coup, you know, there's some, then there'll be some substance to that. The, but until that happens, I mean, I'm, I, I guess I'm one of those people that I, I always say that there's always still time to panic, uh, <laughs> you know, that there, that there's still time ahead to panic. Yeah. Uh, so that I think, you know, would be an important marker. But I I think a couple of things to bear in mind, if the people who are arguing, well, this is just going to squash the whole Russia story. No, it won't. I don't think that's true. I don't think the Senate's going to let that happen. I mean, we were told that I I remember when Mike, Mike Flynn was canned, they said, well, that's trying to just, you know, end the whole Russia thing. Well, uh, we saw how firing Mike Flynn ended nothing. And, and I don't think that that's going to happen here either. Some of the reporting has it that that Trump, you know, has spent the last few days kind of shouting at the TV screen. Another confidence inspiring, <laughs> another confidence inspiring account of our, our, our president's last few days um, shouting at the TV screen because he feels he's not being defended. The Russia thing won't go away and that this was a real effort to, I don't know what, cut off the head of the snake or 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 contain the damage and instantly, you know, the take was this was fuel on the fire, not nothing that would douse it. Uh, Well, and what I really found striking was um, I think CNN's reporting was that the White House was genuinely taken aback by the amount of pushback and the amount of outrage that surrounded this, which tells you, you know, that this is, these are not I mean, in a way, when Trump said, I'm going to bring in people who don't come from the government. Well, okay, I guess you're proving it now. Because anybody who thought there wouldn't be outrage about firing Comey, you know, just wasn't paying attention. Um, I mean, that's but, a but really that's that returns us to the subject of expertise. These are delicate affairs with legal consequences, with constitutional potentially consequences, certainly with, you know, with consequences for so-called optics and just some steady hand at the tiller in that White House, you know, would be nice to see. Well, and, and, you know, the president, to me, seems very transactional. Okay, hmm. this guy isn't working out. Well, you just fire him. That's how you do things, right? Well, yeah. wrong. The whole rest of the world gets to have an opinion. When you run your own corporation and you call in some executive VP who isn't working out, and you tell him to clean out his desk, he's dead to you after that, right? His security escorts him out of the building. No one ever sees him again. It's not a big deal. Uh, incidentally, That's not how government works. Incidentally, because you do know how government works, he he wasn't escorted out of the building with his computer wiped. He was in, we're talking about Jim Comey, he was in Los Angeles. So, you know, one of the questions has been what happened to his files? I mean, he's he's not allowed back in his Washington office. What happened to... You know, I well, guess but, but we let's still not picture talk about him like he's. Yeah. Let's not talk about him like he's Hoover. Okay, um, you good. Know, it's not. It's not like there's a Jim Comey box that you know will now become the MacGuffin in a spy movie where everybody's trying to get a hold of the Jim Comey microfilm or something. I mean, everything. Um, again, you know, and it's, this will be. This is weird because this will be the second time in my life I've ever quoted John Dean. Um, but you know, Dean made a great point. He said he fired the director. He didn't fire the whole FBI. Right. You know, everybody's going to go to work tomorrow at the FBI. And I think again, it shows that in some ways the people in the White House just don't understand that all branches of the government are not just subsidiary corporations of, you know, the president incorporated and, and that firing one guy does not immediately bring to a halt everything going on you know, across uh, hundreds and thousands of desks in America. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure what 
the Comey, I think the one thing we can all agree is I don't think the official story about, you know, Comey was fired because he was mean to Hillary Clinton. But um, you got to think she had a good night last night. Well, I, mean, I, I think, yeah, <laughs> to say, you know, uh, but, but, you know, for her, the, the damage is done. And maybe the one thing I suppose if I were her, I'd say, oh, great. The country feels bad for Jim Comey now. <laughs> right, uh, right, right, right. You know, uh, where was all that love for me uh, when I was getting, you know, but but again, the, and, and I think the rudeness of it, that's that's going to be part of the backlash to say it wasn't like there was, you know, talk. I mean, you, you, you know, you and I have both been around long enough to see, to remember how people get fired in Washington. There's some talk, there's some bubbling, there's finally, you know, a meeting, you know, there's a press conference. The idea of, you know, having your bodyguard drop off a letter while you're in L.A. and you learn about it looking up at a TV, that that's just going to I think that will generate a lot of sympathy for Comey and a lot of kind of puzzled head scratching because it makes it look desperate. And, and it may well be. I never attribute malice to, you know, where I can identify incompetence. It may well be that they just didn't understand what they were doing. The White House just said, well, go ahead. I'll just fire him now. And or have this brought over and but i think the whole idiom of how this was done actually works in comey's favor and it's going to keep the story alive longer i'm sure longer than anybody wanted it any anybody involved in this wanted it to be alive it does give a an a, you know a big fat dot to connect when you're you know going through the flynn firing the sessions recusal you know, and now this and Trump, of course, meeting again with the quote Russians today. Um, yeah. Who is the Howard Baker in the Republican Party today? Who's going to stand up um, and go where the facts go or do what people slightly grandiosely keep saying on on uh, on Twitter, which is put country before party? Um, I don't know. I mean, I it looks to me like John McCain. Uh, although temperamentally he he is not Howard Baker in terms of temperament, yeah. Um, but even McCain recently said there was a profile of him uh, about a month back, and um, I think it was in New York Magazine, where McCain himself said, "Look, I can't keep being the car alarm that goes off," <laughs> um, which I think is a great you know metaphor. And so I'm I'm just not sure who that is, and I think you saw. With the Comey business, I mean, one of the first people to step forward was uh, Lindsey Graham to say, "Yeah, this wasn't a bad idea." Now, you know, Graham is a Russia hawk. He he is all over this Russia investigation. He thinks that the administration is too easy on Putin. It shows you the degree to which Comey had no friends left in Washington. Um, uh, yeah, I saw I saw that you that you noted that. Well, I mean, I, I guess we're looking. I mean, some of these lesser known Republicans in Congress have definitely put a little bit of a stake in the ground or a, or a minor beeping car alarm um, on Twitter and condemned this and even said, now it's time for a committee or a special prosecutor. Which um, would be an interesting outcome because if the, if the goal, you know, and we're all, again, we're all speculating in the absence of evidence here. If the goal was to kind of squash all the Russia talk, then this was really the wrong way to go because it all, I mean, if you're, you're practically guaranteeing an independent, you know, a special prosecutor or some kind of independent committee or something, uh, which, you know, I suppose the most cynical approach would be that a damaged Comey in place is better than a martyred Comey, to use Lyndon Johnson's term, you know, uh, you'd rather have him inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. That's 140 uh, characters. See, they were anticipating how we talk now about all this. <laughs> you know, there was... Yeah, well, John, yeah. Johnson, I don't think Johnson thought in much longer strings than that, but it was a, it's a great image. Yeah, it, yes, um, it is. Sort of a great image. <laughs> so yeah. um, so um, the calls for a special prosecutor sound good, at least for, you know, for those of us with uh, what Nicole Hammer calls the impeachment fantasy. But what would that look like? What, who would point that person, you know, how would if they're well, grand be a juries, difference between how would, a, yep. there's a difference between a special prosecutor and an independent commission. Okay. And I think uh, I, I, you know, being a Russia guy myself and someone who's been deeply upset about what I consider a direct Russian attack on American political institutions and now on French political institutions and, you know, coming up an attack on German. I mean, he, the, the, the Russians have basically been systematically 
attacking the U.S. and its NATO allies with political warfare. Uh, so I really would like to get to the bottom of you know what the Russians are doing, regardless of the outcome of the election itself, regardless of the connection to Trump. And um, so I think, you know, special prosecutor is actually not my favorite outcome because you're right; it it, it feeds that impeachment fantasy. Uh, because special prosecutors are lawyers and they go look for crimes. And if there are no actual crimes, then, you know, they kind of throw up their hands and say, well, I'm I'm done here. I think a 9-11 type commission, a bipartisan commission to say, rather than somebody saying, you know, targeting the president or trying to vindicate Hillary Clinton to say, look, we're going to put that aside and say, what are the Russians doing? And, and how did this happen? How did this terrible thing this this attack on our political system happen and what can we do about it and how do we punish the Russians for it and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Not, I, I not looking for collusion, like not looking for collusion, just getting the facts on paper, getting getting the facts on paper because, you know, collusion. I think the other problem and I, I, I like your phrase, the impeachment fantasy. I think the other fantasy is that people have they watch too much TV and they watch too many movies and the idea, you know, in a web of relationships like this, where influence, you know, is is such a hard thing to prove, they're very rarely a smoking gun. I mean, this is the same problem Republicans had with the Clinton initiative. I mean, look, I, you know, I, I never had any doubt that the Clinton Global Initiative, you know, you made donations to the CGI, you got to talk to a future president of the United States. I mean, the whole thing was inappropriate, I thought. But you can't prove that. You can't prove that somebody made a donation saying... I'm trading money for influence. And you're going to have a hard time proving similar things on the Russian side with this web of financial connections. But people, because they, they watch movies where everything is tied up in 122 minutes, are expecting, you know, a kind of breakdown on the on the witness stand, right? Okay, I did it. I took the money. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> um, it, and real life doesn't work that way. So I think it's much more important to have a commission that sits down and says, you know, if there, I mean, they may well find collusion. There may well be somebody out there, you know, some stringer or some hanger on with the Trump campaign who said, let me help you weaponize the WikiLeaks material. Let me help you, you know, show you which ones you should use. It's possible. But, but I still think that's, that should be part of only part of a much bigger question of, how bad is this political warfare between the United States and the Russian Federation at this point? And what exactly did they do to us in this election? You, you published a story yesterday in The Federalist that, that I don't want to get lost in this because it was very interesting to me. You're a former Sovietologist. And what you said is that Trump's tweets, if you were doing kind of Kremlinology about Trump's White House, Trump's tweets are a very interesting, at least, barometer of what the president's thinking what do you think he's hiding right now? And, you know, he's he's been out of public view for several days, but tweeting um, with his usual zeal. What do you make of it? If you were studying the Kremlin, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I think this is sometimes when when the president's in or out of view, that that to me is a more interesting barometer of the degree to which his aides are actually in control of anything in any given moment. Hmm. Because... I, I think, you know, having been a political aide myself for a short time, you know, it's there are times that you get the boss to do what you want him to do that you think is the right thing to do. And then there are other times where, you know, the boss goes off the reservation and you, you just end up dealing with it. Um, and I think, you know, when at times like this, when I guess my, you know, and again, this is doing it almost like Kremlinology in my own country yeah. where, you know, someone has finally gotten to him and said, you know, you need to stay kind of out of the, uh, out of the line of fire here. You know, let, let people argue about Comey. Don't get in the middle of this. Uh, don't, don't get, you know, too far over your skis on it. Um, because I think a lot of the tweets, a lot of the tweeting and a lot of the activity he did during the Sally Yates thing really showed a lot of emotionalism and a lot of anger. And I think it's just not a good look on the president of the United States. And I think is, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that the people who work for him said, you know, maybe we ought to take that 
that one down a notch. So, um, so I want to let you go because I know you're you're on book tour for the death of expertise, which I'm looking forward to to diving into. But since you do a little bit of gaming of scenarios, like any good uh, Sovietologist, give me some options. What might happen here? Just speculate, wantonly speculate. All of this will be in the brackets of these are just guesses. But what's next? <laughs> well, as, a, as an academic political scientist, making stuff up is my forte. Good. Go for it. <laughs> Make some stuff up for us. Well, uh, I think uh, I actually think that the Comey thing uh, dies down because, again, um, you saw it already happening last night where, you know, there, there, there just aren't a whole lot of people that are stepping forward and saying he just fired the greatest FBI director ever because nobody was ever going to say that. I think the next round is uh, going to be like a, um, you know, is the next round a Neil Gorsuch kind of moment where he picks somebody that surprises the establishment and they say, boy, that was a really great pick for for FBI director. Or does he send in, you know, a Chris Christie type that horrifies everybody? Because I think the question of is this, you know, the road to impeachment or the road to rehabilitation is going to depend entirely on who that next guy is. My guess, my totally unfounded guess is you're going to get another Gorsuch moment because the the rest of the establishment is going to say, hey, you got surprised, you know, you were surprised that that firing uh, Comey was as controversial as it was. Now do the other thing and make this all die down because the last thing you want is a you know blue ribbon select committee kind of panel that does nothing but look into the one thing that you wish they'd stop looking into because if that happens you can't fire those guys if there's a bunch of senators or a blue ribbon panel you're not just going to wade in one day and say okay I'm done with you guys y'all have to go home in some ways I think this could actually it, if and it's a huge if it's a speculatory if if the point of firing Comey was to put an end to the Russia story, it was the worst possible way to do it. Well, thank you so much for being here and and, and also for being a, a reasonable voice in the, the morning after this kind of shock to the system of, of, um, of seeing Comey's firing. I'm going to let you get to your book tour, but thanks a lot for being here, Tom. Well, thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. Our producer is Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and June Thomas is the managing producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer here at the Panoply Network. And John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. For Virginia Heffernan, I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.